Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we uh, are so thankful that we get together in your name and celebrate Advent week number two, uh, the coming of Christ, uh, the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, we're so also thankful that we get to celebrate today a baptism, uh, a symbol of somebody coming into your kingdom, somebody um, losing their old life and gaining a new life in Christ. And uh, we just want to celebrate uh, everything that you have for us today, Lord. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's a blessing to greet you from baptismal waters. Well, I used to say that because I was in the water. Uh, but I'm outside of it now, but Judd is, act- is in it. And I want to remind you that baptism is a testimony. It's a testimony of the fact that our God can change a life. Amen. It's a testimony. It's the gospel made visible. It's a time to witness uh, for Judd to this church family, uh, and all our kids are seated here, your friends, Judd, that are witnessing uh, you publicly uh, identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ because he's changed your life. Uh, Judd, do you have family here? If, if, you're, if you're family, would you please stand? All right. This is Judd Fox, son of Jared. Jared and Jessica Fox and Judd, upon your profession of faith and coming to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism. We are raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen. Well, today, uh, Advent Sunday number two, we light the candle of deity here in a moment. And um, that candle helps us to understand that Christ is totally sufficient to save all who believe. With that in mind, I want us to learn a new Christmas song. Uh, And so last week we sang, O Come All Ye Faithful. Uh, This was written by Sovereign Grace a couple years ago, O Come All You Faithful unfaithful. Some of you may be familiar with it. I think it probably comes from um, the Apostle Paul uh, in Romans 3, 10, and 11. It says, and it is written, none is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And a matter of fact, Paul took this from Psalm 14, 3 and Psalm 53, 3. And then 17 um, centuries later, Jonathan Edwards, the preacher, uh, took up that thought in his quote, You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And this reminds us, this song reminds us of that. Oh, come, we were unfaithful, but God loved us anyway. Amen.
Kevin and Sarah to come up and share with us Advent reading number two. Last week, the first candle, the candle of prophecy was lit. Today, we light the second candle, the candle of deity. The witness of the New Testament is that God became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament promised that he would come, and the New Testament testifies that he came. Thus, at the very outset of his gospel, John stated his thesis that the word is eternal, God of ages who came in human flesh. John 1.1 affirms that Jesus is co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent, and co-substantial with the Father. Jesus pre-existed with the Father in eternity past. May this truth drive us to our knees in worship as we embrace Peter's emphatic testimony as our own. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God.
John 1, 1 in 14 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from, for, for from his fulfillment, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Hebrews 10, 5 through 7. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you, and I love you, and I thank you that the deity of your Son, the sovereignness of you, of what you've done for us through your son, Jesus. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve a great God like you to step down and come to us, but we thank that you did. We praise you, Jesus, in your precious and holy name I pray, amen. So free. 
as we move into our time of uh, worship, which is offering and, uh, and, and tithes, let me remind you that this time of year, it, we call it the Christmas offering or the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, named after a very, very special missionary to China, Lottie Moon, a Southern Baptist missionary. Um, when, when you give to, to Lottie Moon, you give directly to our uh, International Mission Board missionaries. Uh, none of that money goes to us. None of that money goes to the state. None of that money goes to seminaries or whatever. Goes to the international missionaries. A hugely important offering. So uh, as you're giving tithes and offerings, remember that this Christmas season, okay? Lord God, we just come before you and uh, ask for your guidance as we give, what we should give, how we should give. Uh, Lord, it is a part of our worship. It is a part of our Christian experience. And uh, Lord, we just pray that we would be faithful uh, in this uh, area of our life. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we give today, we're going to sing what uh, the Pattersons just shared with us briefly. Um, we have seen His glory. We're going to be singing about that glory. Just sing.
as we prepare for the preached word this morning. Let's just bow our heads. Glory in the highest. Glory in the I'm looking forward to our children and youth and adults singing tonight, aren't you? I hope that you will take time to be here tonight. And speaking of children singing, uh, we all, uh, (laughs) children's programs, can you remember those? When your kids were up front of the church and you were holding your breath to see what your child may or may not do? One little boy got thoroughly confused as he was reciting the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's the model prayer, but he's doing it uh, at a candlelight Christmas Eve service. And here's what he says. Well, when he comes to trespass his part, as we forgive those who trespass against us, he said it like this, and forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. You laugh. But many times we go through Christmas and we ought to be asking God forgiveness for how we've treated it. Forgive us our Christmases. What a mouthful. I think what can help us is to read the Bible and find out what Christmas is about. Find out what the Bible teaches. And I'm glad you asked about that because we're in a text that's all over the meaning of the incarnation of Christ. And the title of the sermon today is The Humiliation and Exaltation of Jesus. Subtitle, But We See Jesus. Verse 5, chapter 2. For it was not the angels, or not two angels, that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You you have crowned him with glory and honor. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now note verse 8 or the middle part. We might call it 8b. Now in putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control. At present we do not yet see Everything in subjection to him. And verse 9. Here's what we do see. Are you ready? We don't see everything under subjection to Christ or mankind. Here's what we do see. But we see him. But we see Jesus. Who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely Jesus 
crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Now, we don't think about that at Christmas, do we? We don't think about the suffering of death, but that's why he came. So that by the grace of God, don't you love the words? Are you a grace man or woman? Right? Don't you love this? So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Death is an ugly intruder into God's good created order. And contrary to popular opinion, death is not part of the way God intended creation to be. We did not come from primordial soup. We didn't come by chance. God created mankind. And we see it every day. Sin, death did not enter this world until man sinned. Death is a result of sin in the garden. And death is a perpetual reminder of what, God, what Adam lost through sin. Death mocks us of paradise lost. As one pastor teacher said, death is a placard with neon lights that says, to, that says every time we stand at a graveside, O kings and queens of the earth, you have no such kingdom. You have no subjects. In fact, you are subject to me and you too will die. That's what death says to us. Death is the most vivid expression in this fallen world of paradise lost. Death is the biggest reminder that things are not the way they're supposed to be. All things were put under subjection to him, but we do not yet see all things. But we see Christ. We saw last week that the world seems out of control. Doesn't it? All things are not in subjection. Yet, I want to remind you today that the Bible is emphatic that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that he rules. And that one day in the future, all of his enemies will be made a footstool for him. He has dominion. And he has truly recovered all that the first man, Adam, lost. He has recovered it. So the Bible is emphatic that if you are in Christ, you also share in Christ's victory. We will reign with him, but not yet. We shall reign with him, but not yet. That's the point of the last two parts of verse 8. He left nothing outside of his control, yet at present we do not yet see everything subject to him. Now do we see flickers of his power and glory in this world and of his kingdom that has invaded the present world? Absolutely. But we must confess that what we see with our eyes is not total dominion, nor total, uh, the total picture of all his enemies put under his footstool. So the writer will tell us at this point, although we don't see those things, there is something we do see. And it's vital that you see him today. It's vital that you take note of what the author is writing to you. Did y'all know there's a sequence to God's plan? Nothing happens by happenstance. There are no accidents, only providence. And so, there's a sequence to the plan of God. And we, we would like for it to fast forward through the suffering. 
But that's not what the Bible teaches us about the sequence of God's plan. God is in the process of putting back man back in his original intended purpose. God is doing this, even in the present. But it's not here yet. We don't see it fully. But there's a sequence in God's plan from the foundation of the world. And that sequence contains suffering. And that sequence to God's plan encompasses death. And verse 9 is a reminder. You see it? That the fulfillment of God's destiny for man first comes through the suffering of the Son of God. Not just suffering, but death. In other words, there's suffering before the glory. There's the cross before the crown. And the writer will remind us that Jesus is crowned with glory and honor, yet it is the sight of Jesus crowned in his suffering and death that's going to sustain you in this life. Because you too will die. So it is what he suffered for you in suffering death that's going to sustain you in this life. And the Hebrew believers that were hearing this or reading it for the first time were persecuted. Some had lost their families. Some had lost their possessions and their land. Some faced death and some actually died for the cause of Christ. Yet Christ died for us. He suffered death. There was suffering before glory. And here's the translation of verse 9, kind of literal wooden. But we see Jesus, the one for a little while made lower than the angels because of the suffering of death, who has been crowned with glory and honor in order that by God's grace for everyone he might taste death. Please don't miss the connection. Into verse 8, into verse 9. We do not yet, all things put under subjection to him, but we do not yet see that, but we see Jesus. And then you're going to get some descriptions in the text of what we see when we see Christ. And by the way, if what you see of Jesus is not what the Bible says, then you do not see him correctly. This is vital for you to understand. JWs, Jehovah Witnesses, they don't see Jesus from the Bible. Mormons, they do not see Jesus from the Bible. What you see of Christ must be the Jesus of the Bible or it's not the Jesus that exists. Only this book tells you who he is. That's what we believe and that's what we know. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was made flesh. So the images of Jesus that you have or anybody else has for that matter are irrelevant. The only image, the only descriptions that matter is what's described in the Word of God regarding Jesus in His inspired Word. Okay? So what does this verse say about Him? Last week we talked about the need to recall the dignity and original intention for man. And that psalm gives us that. Who is man that you are mindful of Him? You have made Him a little lower than the angels. So we talked about two things. Man's position and man's problem. So that was the original intention. Here's the second point of verses 5 through 9. Realize God's ultimate intention achieved in Jesus Christ. And that's what you see beginning in verse 9. Where we see Jesus. Two things I want you to see about that. About God's ultimate intention achieved in Jesus Christ. Two things. Number one, the Son of God was made lower than the angels by becoming incarnate. Deity coming in the form of flesh. 
fully God, fully man. So this is the second time that phrase made lower is used. The first time it's an aorist, man was made lower than the angels. This time it's a perfect participle, having been made lower. In other words, Jesus took on something that he did not have previously. He was the son of God for all eternity. And yet he's made lower than the angels for a time. So what is this speaking of? Well, it's speaking of what you celebrate at Christmas if you're a believer today. Uh, There is a temporary element to this. Jesus for a little while was made lower than the angels. But there's also a permanent element to this. He was made man. So having been made lower, perfect tense, and yet there's there's a temporal reference in the text that says for a little while. Now, in this period of humiliation, it it technically didn't last just uh, through the birth canal and the baby crying in the manger. It lasted for 33 years. Are y'all tracking with me? I mean, Christmas is not a one-day event. It's a 33-year event. The incarnation, Christ coming to this earth, was a period, his period of humiliation. God becoming man lasted 33 years. But he enters this world as a baby where he has a status that is lower than the angels. And as it were, for 33 years in that period, he entered into this world. So it's overwhelming. It's astonishing that you can read chapter 1, 4 through 14 and think, God, the very God who is the Word of God, the very God who created the world, The very God who upholds all things by the word of his power. Who is the express image of the invisible God. Who is the sustainer of all things. Would enter this world as a baby. Is that not astonishing? The eternal son. Who made all things by the word of his power. Who upholds all things by the word of his power. Becomes a baby. Who is growing through the gestation process. In Mary's womb. And then goes out through the birth canal into this world. In the same way that we did. Accompanied with all that excitement. We just had a grandbaby. That's exciting. Yes. It is. Don't forget. Whole nine yards. Umbilical cord. Swaddling. Child. Everything involved with delivering a baby. And the Son of God for all eternity came into this world that way. Grace. Entered this world as a very symbol of weakness. As an infant. Yet, at the same very moment, he's upholding all things by the word of his power. Don't forget who he is. Baby, humanity, weakness, still upholding all things by the word of his power. So that period where the eternal, almighty, sovereign son enters into this world, his humiliation, when he was nailed to a very tree, the very tree that he created, he was crucified by Romans that he made. He was crucified in shame. That period lasted 33 years, but no more. He was made a little lower than than the angels For a while. Yet we also need to think properly about the fact that after his resurrection and ascension, where he is exalted to the right hand of the Father, which is clearly taught in Hebrews, 
Just as Jesus, when he came in his incarnation, never ceased to be God, so in his exaltation to the right hand of the Father, he never ceases to be man. Now theologically, you may not have ever thought of that. But he dwells forever as the God-man. He is forever fully God. He is forever now fully human. Jesus Christ is forever the God slash man. He will forever be not only very God of very God, but he will eternally be forever very man of very man. He will forever bear the scars of crucifixion. Go ahead, Thomas. Thrust your hand in my side. In Revelation, he bears the scars, having been slain from the foundation of the world. So he will forever be the lamb standing as slain. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. So at Bethlehem, God dropped an anchor squarely into the mainstream of all of human history. And he turned it on its axis. That's what God did. God did this, not mankind. At Bethlehem, he who made man came as a man. Jesus was the only person in history that could plan his own birth. You say, well, I don't know about that. Okay, we'll get there. Chapter 10, listen. Miss Sarah read this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he came into the world because he existed before he came. Christ, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. You ever met anybody that prepared the very body before they were born? God did. That's what Jesus Christ, the Lord, did. After an eternity of planning, he was still born in a barn, despised at his birth. He was, he was actually born in a despised, out-of-the-way country, as we learn in Micah 5. The truth is that God is at home in barns, right? And despised places provided you will accommodate him. He's not prejudiced against palaces, but people in palaces usually don't want him. The shepherds were only on their way. I love playing the shepherd during Bethlehem. But we, shepherds, were only on their way for several hours after hearing the announcements, announcement of Christ's birth. Wise men were on their way to worship him and see him for a few months. But the Son of God was planning to come to this earth for all eternity. He was packing his bags to be born in Bethlehem before Adam ever sinned in the garden. Don't think it's an accident. Don't think this was plan B. This was the plan of God for all eternity. He packed his bags way before Adam ever sinned in the garden of Eden. So... God came to where we were that he might finally take us to where he is. He, took, he came to restore humanity. The newborn baby of Bethlehem was the everlasting God come down from glory. And aren't you thankful that our God built a bridge across that deep, dark, wide chasm of our sin that separates you from him. And when you could not go... To where he is. He came to you. 
That's the glory of Christmas. He came to us because we could not go to him. That's the first thing this text teaches. The Son of God was made lower than the angels by coming incarnate. Here's the second thing. Jesus by becoming incarnate. Number two, Jesus Christ, the exalted one, died on behalf of all. Do you see it in the text? Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now, the passage says, because of the suffering of death. The question is, what does it modify? You may say, well, I don't even really concern myself with that. Well, I do. You have to, if you study grammar. It could modify what goes before it. So that it could be the so so that could be the reason why he was made lower than the angels. In other words, he was made lower than the angels because of the suffering of death. In other words, he could not die unless he was made lower than the angels, because God cannot die. Or it could go with what follows. It could be the reason why he was crowned with glory and honor was because of the suffering of death. Uh, we don't know which one it is. But I'll tell you this, both are true in the Bible. Both are absolutely, biblically both are true. In the flow of text, it's difficult to see what modifies what. Uh, but unless Jesus became man, thus made lower than the angels for a while, then he could not have suffered and died. But on the other hand, he would have never been exalted unless he obeyed the will of the Father and submitted himself and suffered and died. My personal preference is he was made lower than the angels for the purpose of suffering death. Now, this is the first explicit time the word Jesus is used in the Bible, in the, in the Hebrew, in the book of Hebrews. Very first time Jesus is used in the flow of the teaching in the book of Hebrews. And the book is going to be replete with what teaching? That his sacrifice alone is what saves you from your sin, Right? And it's going to be all the way through the book of Hebrews. The suffering which is constituted by death is what this means. Just look at that on the page. Suffering of death. Just think about that for a minute. Suffering is seen in the death process that Jesus Christ fully entered. The Son of God who enters this world incarnate, full deity, yet becoming man, very man, partaking of flesh and blood, yet without sin, He's got a real human nature, a real human soul, and he suffers to the point of death. And the Bible says, even death on the cross. He's the one who is crowned with glory and honor. Because he was willing to submit himself to the suffering of death, he's been crowned with glory and honor of all the glory and honor that Adam lost. He becomes the heir of all things. Let me show you another text that you should love to read at Christmas. Philippians 2, see if you can't see the gospel here. Verse 6, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. I'm reading Philippians 2 beginning in verse 5. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. What do we call that? Humiliation. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, sounds like Hebrews, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, exalted, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
What do you call that? All enemies should be made his footstool. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every knee, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What an awesome reminder in Philippians. Here's the description of Christ incarnate. It is his period of humiliation. Made lower than the angels. Suffers the suffering of death, but is then crowned with glory and honor. Richard Phillips writes, In raising Christ from the dead, God the Father honored Jesus' perfect obedience. He vindicated his cause. He accepted his sacrifice. He established his reign over the new humanity, of which is both, he is both Lord and forerunner of the first fruits of God's harvest. Death was not the victor over Jesus. Death was rather the victim. He conquered death. And so here's the description of Jesus right here of all that happened in his humiliation. Incarnate, God becoming man. Dead, he suffered death. Raised, crowned, exalted. Then the writer says, in order that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone. In order that he may be crowned or made who he is. You got to ask the question again, what does this modify? The in order that may go with crowned or it may go with made lower in order, in that order. Or it could be the whole package and that's what I take it to mean. The idea is that Jesus was made lower. He was crowned so that he might taste death. So in his incarnation, it enabled him It gave him the possibility that he could die when you look down to verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. He took on that nature so that he could die. Now, the Bible says he tasted death for everyone. Now, what does it mean to taste something? Well, it's not like you go into your favorite local ice cream shop and instead of just ordering a double scoop, you say, I want a taste of it. And they get this little small spoon. Don't you like those little things? They should just give you a spoon of every bit of it. And then you wouldn't need to buy any of it, right? Because you get to taste it all. But you taste those things. It gives you just enough to see if you like it. That's not what taste means here in this text. It's not referring to something here as if he touched death with his lips and then pulled back because of the reality of it. This expression, tasted death, is absolutely emphatic. And it's an expression of a violent death that Christ fully experienced. For the suffering of death, he comes into this world in order to taste death for everyone. Christ enters this world... And does a lot, doesn't he? I mean, we witness him as a 12-year-old astounding those who heard because they'd never heard anyone who taught like him, even at the age of 12. And he progresses, and he walks the face of the earth, and he teaches. Uh, we first remember that he entered this world as a, in a sinless life. And then he performs miracles. He heals the blind to give them sight. He helps lepers 
be able to be cleansed from their leprosy. He, he performs acts of mercy. He raises people from the dead. He teaches. He does so many things in word or deed that are absolutely amazing. And yet when you get to Hebrews 2 verse 9, the text says that he came into this world not to preeminently teach, but to die. Doesn't it? That's what it says here. It doesn't give you any information about what he did. And he did a lot. He becomes incarnate, enters humanity for the purpose of experiencing death fully. He enters into suffering and then he dies. That's what the Bible says. This is the purpose of his incarnation. This is why Jesus, the views out there of Jesus in the marketplace who say he was just a good moral teacher or he was a good example, that falls short of forgiveness of sins. That can't save your soul. Okay? So anyone that says that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh is the spirit of the Antichrist. And anybody who denies that he's the son of God is a heretic. All right? It's a cult if they deny that. The world says he was a good moral teacher. The world says, well, he was a good moral example. The Bible says he died a suffering death. The ultimate reason that the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, enters humanity, takes on himself a full human nature without sin, is so that he could taste death for you and me. Do you see it in the text? Think about this. When we gather for the Lord's Supper, it is not focused on the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is the finest sermon ever preached. But that's not the focus of the Lord's Supper. When we have the Lord's Supper, we do not focus our attention on healing. We don't focus our attention on our ability to raise anyone from the dead. You can't. We focus our attention on the cross and on his death. That's why you do this in remembrance of him. And I said this last week, and it may have shocked some of you, but we're never told in the word of God to celebrate his birth. But you are called by God to celebrate his death every time you partake of the Lord's Supper. There's a reason for that. So the focus is on the death, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Because in that you are reconciled to God and without it you can't be. You're not reconciled to God by any miracle that Jesus performed in the Gospels. Except for his death and resurrection. What he did for you. So important. He must become man to die because God cannot die. He as a man fully experienced death. Death is the awful reminder of Adam's failure. And death, right now, is in control of your life. Are y'all listening? Sin entered into this world. And how do we know this? Because death entered into this world. And here's what death continually whispers to us. There is a devil. It whispers this to us. There is darkness. Are y'all listening? There is sickness. And our death is coming. You go to a funeral and it's the strangest thing. That person is no longer with us. Folks, that's an intruder, is it not? You celebrate their life and we all stand around a grave. And then when it's over, we hurry off to go watch a basketball game. 
That's ludicrous. That's absurd. And that's what Ecclesiastes says. That life is like. One moment, there's life, birth, and then the next moment, you're standing at a graveside, and all the ins and outs of life is, is absurd. Why is it like that? Because that's not the way God intended for it to be. Mm. Generations come and generations go, and there remains this haunting specter called death. And it says to you, you are going to die. Y'all didn't expect to have this morbid sermon at Christmas, did you? Well... I've stood by a few people when they died. I was 29 years old when my dad died. And I stood there. And I watched him breathe his last breath. And I knew that to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. But it still stung. It's, it's still not right. Think of this. You think to yourself. It's sobering. Even as a believer... With the hope that we have that is not wishful thinking. It's confident expectation in the promises of God. And you know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But there's still something about death that's so intruding. It's so horrific. It's not supposed to be that way. That's why 1 Corinthians 15 says that death is the last enemy. It is. It's the constant reminder that you are a fallen person. And you live in a fallen world. All right, you ready? Everybody looking at me? But we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is wanting you to face, to think about, focus on. He enters this world and he says, I will fully and I will completely enter into your suffering as a human being. And that particular suffering will culminate into my death. As the writer of the hymn says, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Christ becomes the ideal man who deserves nothing but glory and honor and praise, not deserving to die, yet in order to restore man to his proper place in the plan of God, he suffers and he dies for us. It was first the cross, then the crown. When the Son of God became man, he elevated humanity to the ideal. You're not there yet, but when you see him, you shall see him as he is, and you shall be like him. That's coming in the future. When he tasted death for us, he forever took the sting out of death. If you've never read 1 Corinthians 15, then you should. But it's the resurrection chapter, and 15 says, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus reached and plucked the stinger straight out of death. And he did it for us, fully. By the way, if you hear me talk about all this Adam terminology and you're lost to what I'm speaking of, 1 Corinthians 15, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a living spirit. The last Adam is Christ. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. 
That's what it means. For the Son of God, He's from heaven. And He came to earth as the ideal person, the ideal man. He dealt with death triumphantly while He was made lower than the angels. And because He came forth from the grave, so shall you. Hallelujah. The grave could not hold Him. It did not have power over Him. Neither will it have power over you. And here's what the writer says. Y'all got time for this? You know me well enough to know you're going to get it whether you have time or not. But here's what the Bible says. The writer gives us two little words. By grace. By grace. What does this mean? It doesn't mean that Jesus tasted death by grace. Jesus tasted death for us because of grace. He tasted death for you because of grace. In other words, it's the substitutionary nature of the words on behalf of that is the grace. Don't you understand? If you're saved today, it's because Jesus tasted death on your behalf. It was substitutionary in its efficaciousness. It was effectual in your life, made effective because he tasted death on your behalf. So, he tasted death for us in our stead, and that is the grace of God. It was the grace of God that sent Jesus to be made lower than the angels. It was the grace of God that caused him to taste death for us. It was the grace of God that we are now redeemed because of his sacrifice. It's all of grace. No amens? Are y'all grace people? Well, you can't be saved any other way. For by grace are we saved through faith. And that not of ourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The little baby in Bethlehem, that's grace. Jesus of Nazareth performing miracles and teaching us, that's grace. As he lays down his life for us, remember Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me, I lay it down willingly. As he lays down his life for you, that is grace. As he cries, it is finished to tell us thy on the cross. Having faced death fully, completely, having taken upon himself the death that you deserve because you're in the posterity of Adam, that's all grace that he would do this. As he was raised the third day for our justification, what does that mean? If he didn't come forth from the grave, then he was a phony. But that's the signature of the Father's approval that he accepted the sacrifice and it's grace that he came forth from the grave. He's in heaven, ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's ever making intercession for you. That's grace. Here we have a glorious picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in a nutshell. Here it is. He tasted death for you by the grace of God. That's the best news in the entire world. He tasted death for us. If the writer of Hebrews would have possessed a Surface Pro or a laptop or whatever kind of computer, he would put this in bold for you to see today. We see Jesus. That's what he would say. The writer of the Hebrews to the Hebrews says that it better be the one you see Jesus. If you see him correctly, you have to see him as the one made a little lower than the angels for a while. 
but is now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that he might taste death for everyone. So here's a question for you. What does he mean by we see Jesus? What does he mean by we see Jesus? He's already said that we do not yet see all things under subjection to him. We look at the Middle East right now, and guess what? That's not all things under subjection. We look at death. We look at sickness. We look at suffering. And by that side, it doesn't look like it's all subject to Christ. He has told us what we don't see. Now he tells us what we do see. And here's the answer of we see Jesus. Seeing Jesus right now in the present is a mental, spiritual activity that takes place by faith. Are y'all listening? This is a mental... By the way, Baptist, God intends for you to use your mind... Not just your emotions. That's what's wrong up the road right here. Emotions. They don't think about what the Bible says or the God they serve. you got to think. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Mind. Mind. you got to think. And so here, here's a mental activity that can only take place by faith. We see Jesus. In chapter 3, the writer will say, consider Jesus. Isn't that awesome? In chapter 12, verse 2, he will say, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, now seated at the right hand of the Father. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The sight of Jesus is a sight of faith. Hear me, folks. The sight of Jesus... In this text, he's going to flesh it all out in Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith Noah. Got that in reverse, right? By faith Noah, by faith Moses. He's going to go down through there. Why is that important? Because faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction. It's the evidence of things not seen. Are y'all listening? It, it's the conviction. It's the evidence of things not seen. And you can't see Jesus any other way than through the eyes of faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Because faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So during this period where we don't see everything with our, with our own eyes subject to Jesus. Here's what we do see. It is the Lord Jesus, the eternal Son, who took on flesh and tasted death for you. When you stand at death's door, that's what you see. You see the Lamb of God who took away your sins. You see Jesus who suffered and died, but yet rose again. Folks, that's the only thing that's going to take you to glory. Period. You'll not stand there before the Lord and say, man, I was a pretty good dude. You won't be able to claim anything you ever did on your own to make your way to heaven. It will be Christ alone that gets you there. It will be Jesus, the very one who tasted death for you. So it is Jesus, the eternal son who took on flesh, who tasted death for you. And you can only see this by faith. You fix your gaze, you fix your faith on him. We see Jesus in his suffering and death by faith. We see his suffering and death as the pathway for his own glory and the restoring of us to the Father and the restoring of the original dignity and destiny of image bears us to God. And so if you've placed your faith in Christ, 
and the one who tasted death for you. Then here's the deal, folks. Something happened to your soul. Something happens to your soul when you get the sight of Jesus. And he's the one who is so precious to you. He's more precious than anyone or anything. Is that true of you? Is that true of you? He is more... When your eyes can see him through faith, which is a gift from God, he is more precious than anyone or anything. None of those things or people can help you at death. Only Jesus. Only Jesus suffered death for you and rose again. He's the only hope. Today we don't see all things under his subjection. But we through the eyes of saving faith. There's a difference in what people claim as faith. You can have faith in anything. The Bible speaks of saving faith. Where your eyes can see him. Spiritual eyes. The scales have been removed. The callousness from your heart tempered. God tenders your heart toward Christ. Through the word and the spirit. By faith you can see the one who has been crowned with glory and honor. I mean that's taking me to my death and through death. Seeing him crowned with glory and honor. Hmm. That's Merry Christmas. Right? That's, that's seeing him. It is the sight of the cross and his suffering that assures us that one of these days we will fully participate with him in glory. It is the sight of Christ by faith that gives us the assurance that our sins are forgiven. Because he tasted death for us. And had he not, he wouldn't have paid the penalty. Are you listening? Because he tasted death on our behalf. Because he came as the ideal man for us. Because he's crowned with glory and honor. By faith we lay hold of that. Because of the gift of faith, we believe. Now I'm 100% convinced. All the way to the tip of my toes. In the south, I would say from my radiator to my tailpipes. That I will enjoy what God intended it to be in the new heaven and new earth. Where righteousness will dwell with no more sin. Hey, I'm not 10%, 20%. I am 100% all in. I pushed every one of my cards to the middle of the table. I'm 100% in that one day I will be where righteousness dwells. No more pain. Uh, we picked up walls yesterday, David. David confessed that he ate 25 ibuprofen. No, I'm kidding. We moved all these walls. And I got up this morning, I'm like, whew, man, I don't know if that's arthritis in these shoulders. I mean, I lift weights and all that stuff, but I was hurting a little bit. One day, not so. Right? No more pain, no more suffering, no more sadness, no more death. There will be no graves dug into the hillsides of glory. None! I want, you won't have to worry about that anymore. Why? Because of his suffering and death on your behalf. Right? So, the old things have passed away. And all things have become new. This is the confidence and hope that's secured for you by the grace of God. That he tasted death for us. And when you see Jesus through the eyes of faith, you see his death. You see the death of death for you. Pluck, the stingers plucked straight out of death. You see liberty from sin. You see forgiveness of God. In his suffering and death, you see eternal life. 
And although the writer tells us what we don't see, he surely tells us what we do see. We see Jesus. Now here's the question for you. Do you see him? Do you? Not just church attendance. Are y'all listening? Not just what he can give you. Not as he is a celestial bellhop that we just think we can draw a crowd because we're going to tell you how he's going to heal you and take care. No, you're going to die. That's the reality. You're going to die. But Jesus Christ suffered death for you. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. So I tell you today, not that you trusted him for fire insurance. You didn't trust him for a get-out-of-hell-free card. That's not why you trust him. In the eyes of faith, you trust him today as Lord and Savior. That's how you live. It, it's not, uh, Larnell Harris used to sing a song called uh, All Year Long. And it, I was a little kid. I was probably in, the, in 1985. I was 15 years old. Not that little, but pretty little. And you, you remember that. And he, he, he sings a song about his children watching the family store away Christmas in the attic. And he says, do we store away Jesus too? I mean, that's how a lot of us live. We don't think about him until Christmas time. And, and maybe at Easter. That's not salvation. When you have the eyes of faith and sight to see, it encompasses your entire life. If you've got the nature of God put in you, folks, wake up. If the nature of... If, if, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So, so do you know the Lord? Have you seen him? Is he just an addition, an addendum to life? Or is he everything to you? Well, that's a good question. We see Jesus. Father, help us. Lord, help us. Your, your, your word reminds us that... Faith comes through the word. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. We thank you for the gospel. Thank you for this text. Thank you for reminding us of Christmas. And as we think back to the beginning of the sermon. Do we owe our God. A confession of our heart. That we need to be forgiven for our Christmases. Because we don't think about what it means, who you are, how you've changed us. How that one of these days when we face our death, death will not be the final word. Because you have conquered death. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. If there's someone lost today, may they put their faith in you. Your word says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Romans says that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. The Bible says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Will be saved. Father would you convict the heart. Would you draw them to you through the preaching of the word. And your divine spirit who has drawn every man that's ever been saved before. May he do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing Jesus paid it all. 
I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain. text says that because of the grace of God, he tasted death for you. Can I let you know one more gift of grace this morning? That you were able to hear the gospel. Now think about that for a moment. God allowed you to hear the gospel. He didn't have to. He didn't have to tell you that he came and died for you, took your place, died on your behalf, but he did. You may say, I was floundering around this morning and by happenstance I came to church. Not so. God orchestrated you being in that seat today. And the fact that you heard the gospel. But it's also a reminder to you that you may not hear it again. You never know. But you heard it today. What are you going to do with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope, it's, I hope you've pushed all the cards. I hate to use that kind of expression, but I hope you're all in. Because you won't go to heaven any other way. It's only through Christ. Him crucified. Raised from the dead. Bearing your sin penalty on your own that you deserved. But he took it on. On behalf of you, substitutionarily. Praise God for it. Merry Christmas. Right? Yes. Merry Christmas. Uh, no accident that we landed right here in Hebrews. And you think, well, preacher, you shuffled around and preached and tried to think it. No, I didn't. I told David the other day, I was like, you know what? These next four weeks just line themselves out perfectly. That was just by accident, right? Yeah. No. Next week, we'll talk about the fact that he's your archegon. He's the captain of your salvation. And I'm so thankful he's my big brother. Amen? And we'll learn about that next week. God bless you. Hey, let me have you just be seated just a minute. We need two more minutes of your time. Brother Kevin, come and share with us how important next Sunday morning is. So as I shared with you guys last week, uh, we've got some things going on with our budget that's unprecedented. I am Kevin Patterson. I am the uh, chair of the stewardship committee. 
and we decided as, as a group, pastor kept pointing at me, but that uh, somebody had to explain this, and so <laughs> thanks, and, um, but James, I think next week what we'll do is we'll show up in the sanctuary for Sunday school, and I'm going to talk through the big rocks of this. I'm not going to get down into the entire budget, but I'm going to talk through the big rocks of uh, especially the insurance uh, issue that we're uh, uh, dealing with, which is a $200,000 increase. And we'll, we'll talk through uh, those, those things. We'll talk through the opportunities that God has put in front of us to glorify his name. And I truly believe that. And, and um, so uh, you're going to listen to me for a little bit, if that's okay. Then in Sunday night, next week, we'll, we'll get to uh, come back and you'll be able to ask questions. And David, I wrote this down because I messed up last week. To hear your grace and your questions. So, so uh, thank you. I'm looking forward to, uh, to that uh, in, in uh, hearing what you guys have to ask next Sunday night. So, uh, so thank you so much. And it'll be a full budget uh, presentation, and we will vote on the budget. We'll vote on uh, the elders, I think, uh, in Sunday night. And then, no, we won't vote on the budget. The budget will be voted on the 24th. I said that incorrectly. The, it's an explanation in the evening, and then the 24th is just a vote with no, with no discussion. Okay? Okay. Next week. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, also, apologies. I think we may have uh, miscommunicated a couple of things. So tonight... Uh, regardless of what it says on our website or our uh, bulletin, tonight at 5.30 is our, our Christmas music with preschool, children, student praise band, ladies ensemble, uh, orchestra and choir. All right? So that's it. That's at 5.30 tonight. And, and be here at whatever time your uh, appointed time is, preschool, cho- they, they've all communicated that to you, where to meet and all that to to get ready for for the concert tonight, okay? But y'all are invited 5.30 tonight. God bless you. Have a great day.